Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming to you from Houston. Uh, it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm recording this before the Warriors play the Rockets, uh, but we're not going to be talking about the Warriors and Rockets today. Uh, instead, just recorded a conversation with my um, good friend Jeff McDonald, who covers the Spurs for the San Antonio Express News, talking about the upcoming Spurs Warriors showdown uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. We'll be listening this Wednesday morning, so tonight uh, on ESPN in San Antonio. Uh, everyone is supposed to play. Um, unless there's any injuries tonight, I expect everyone from the Warriors to play. Steve Kerr's already said as much. The, War, uh, the Spurs have no reason to sit anybody, so everyone should play there. Um, you know, so we should, uh, we should find out, you know, a lot more about these teams than we did either in the opening game of the season when there wasn't really much to be learned from that at all, or in, uh, the game a couple weeks ago in San Antonio, when the Spurs sat everybody or not the the Spurs sat LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard and the Warriors sat everybody. And, uh, you know, we saw a route that, that was not much of interesting for, anyone to listen to anywhere or anyone to watch anywhere. So um, hopefully we get a good game. And so Jeff and I got into a lot of stuff on the pod, talked about uh, obviously the MVP candidacy of Kawhi Leonard, talked about the way the Spurs have kind of surprised him and, you know, just about everybody else, the way they've seamlessly moved on from Tim Duncan, uh, the way Greg Popovich has got Pau Gasol to accept being a role player, uh, a lot of different stuff. Thought it was, thought it was a good fun listen. Think you guys will enjoy it. Um, Spent a lot of time on both Kawhi's development and the, the MVP race, which I think will probably get the most interest from people. So definitely we're checking out. Um, in addition, uh, please subscribe to uh, the Monday Morning Post Up, my newsletter. Uh, really excited about it. It's on, on the Washington Post website uh, under the auspices. Uh, brand new redesign. Looks awesome. Uh, people are pretty excited about it. I um, think we're going to do a lot of cool stuff with it during the playoffs. Potentially doing it uh, every day uh, at some point during the playoffs. So I would like to get any feedback you guys have on it. Anything you guys want to change or add to it or, or things we could do with it to make it better. Um, you know, my, my goal is for this to kind of become a, a big thing. And I, I'd like anybody who listens to it or reads it to uh, to give me some feedback on what they'd like. So you can email me at timbontemps at washpost.com. That's timbontemps at washpost.com. Uh, and you can subscribe to the newsletter at wapo.st slash newsletter. That's wapo.st slash postup newsletter. Um, so give that give that a shot and, and and let me know what you think. Uh, like I said, I think we're going to be doing a lot of big things with that. Pretty excited about it. So uh, so keep an eye out for for stuff we got going on there and sign up. And with that, let's get to my man Jeff McDonald. All right, Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, I remember when I I was talking to you before the season started and. You were not quite sure what to make of this Spurs team post Duncan, uh, AJ Tony Parker at point guard, Pau Gasol at center, uh, a lot of older players weren't quite sure where things were going to go. Yet here we are uh, the day before um, this final game between the Warriors and Spurs, and the Spurs dismantled the Cavs last night, are 4 0 against Cleveland and Golden State this year, and are you know right right on the tail of the Warriors for the best record in the league. So. Um, from your perspective, what, what has been the thing uh, that has surprised you the most about the way the Spurs have played this season? I mean, it's kind of crazy that they're here we are the first season after Tim Duncan is gone, and they're probably going to get 60 wins again, 
60 plus wins again, and I still don't really know what to make of them. You know, I mean, I mean, they obviously are a very good team. The record shows that. Um, but there are some nights you look at them and go, I don't know how this team, um, you know, is going to survive that Western Conference playoff gauntlet. And then there are other nights like, um, you know, against Cleveland, where you're like, this this team, you know, is probably good enough to, to take on anybody, at least give anybody a series. So I, you know, there's there's they're they're a weird team, and they're they're you know, in in a lot of other seasons, they'd be clearly the best team in the league. There's still some question marks I think about them. Uh, I have about them that I think. Um, they're going to have to answer in the playoffs. Well, let's just get let's just get right to that because you you look at you look at the the metrics, right? They have, they have the best defense in the league. They have one of the best offenses in the league. Um, you know, they're they're basically either first or second in every metric, and and the Warriors are first in all the rest of them. Um, and they're like you said, they're on pace to win sixty games. They, they have a chance at the one seed. You know, Golden State. You know, I'm in Houston for for Rockets Warriors. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday before Wednesday's game. You know, if, if the if the rock if the Rockets beat Golden State tonight, uh, the, the Spurs can basically get into a tie with with them if they win tomorrow. So, you know, like you said, if you kind of look at it from ten thousand feet and just look at the numbers, you go, well, the Spurs look like a team that you know, if, if they're not the favorites, they're they're maybe the co-favorites to win the championship. But I have a lot of the same questions that you do. So I guess from your perspective, what 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 are the biggest things that you look at with this team that make you wonder if they are a real you know, as good as what the numbers say they should be. Yeah, it does feel like nitpicking a little bit when you look at it from afar. It's, it's almost like when you see them every day, you see these little flaws that might be problems, a problem down the road. It's almost like you know, you like a like a long term relationship. You you live with someone for so long, and you start to you know notice things about them that other people maybe don't notice. But there's there's a lot of questions, and I'm not saying that they can be answered as the playoffs go along. But it's you know, one question you have is what happens on that where in playoffs where Kawhi Leonard can't get his 30 points or his 25, where the other team has just seen him out of it or has, has a defender good enough to make him work for it, where does the offense come from? Now they have other good offensive players, Marcus Aldridge, Pal Gasol. They've got a bench that, uh, you know, at times can, can go nuclear on you. So will those guys step up uh, in playoff series where, where you need them to? Can, can Tony Parker hold up in a playoff series? Because if you go to the Western Conference, uh, playoff bracket, you're just going to have to face point guard after point guard after point guard. Um, that's all star, all star caliber. Can 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 Tony Parker at least be a factor night in night out? The way the Spurs are set up, he doesn't have to be the guy that scores 30 points like he did, you know, maybe five years ago. Um, but he's got he's got to be in the game. You, you can't he you know there was a playoff you know you can't be like last season against Russell Westbrook where you're getting you're getting you know beat 30 to six. From the play from the point guard position, so that's that's one of them. You know, can the you know Travis has been great for them. What series is what, what what opponents can you play against in the playoffs? Can you play them against the Houston that you're going to have to go through? Can you play them against Golden State that you're going to have to go through? The, the Spurs are really uh, loath to play Tim Duncan against those kind of teams last year because they didn't just didn't think he could get out on the perimeter and you know, switch pick and rolls and guard on the perimeter the way you have to against those teams. Travis can't do that either. So so does he become just a complete non-factor? in those kind of series. And if so, does that take away one of your primary offensive weapons? So there's, there's a lot of things um, that they have to figure out. Can, can this team gut out? You know, you get, you always get in the playoffs where a playoff series, you're going to have to gut out a series or a, or a, or a, a you know, a closeout game or an elimination game. Does this team have that kind of fiber to do that? Because, you know, last year they didn't do that against Oklahoma City, even when they had Tim Duncan on their roster. Now they don't have that guy who has been sort of their – 
their playoff fiber for 20 years. Um, when you get in those kind of uh, adverse situations, can can you gut it out? Lots of questions about this team, and I don't want to make it sound like they're terrible and can't do it, but I, I you know, I I, I think um, it's just going to be real interesting to see what happens once we get in the playoffs, what matchups they draw, and, and so forth. I I agree. I I mean, you know, it's fair, you know, and I I get what you're saying about not wanting to to nitpick, but you know, look, the Spurs for as great as their history has been. What tends to happen is when they when things start to go bad in a playoff series for them, it tends to just end. And like you, you kind of go back and look over time, and like once the once the flaws start to show, they, it, it, and this isn't a knock on Greg Popovich at all. It's just kind of you know some a lot of times you see a playoff series and it'll go back and forth, and you'll see you know swings both ways, and um, you, you know you kind of. You kind of look, you kind of look around, and, and you can see adjustments and, and kind of chess games back and forth. And I, I think a lot of it's just because of the way the Spurs have been built over time. Like they just kind of always had these pretty deep teams, and you know if they if they run into the the wrong matchup, they just they, they in the past they haven't really had a lot of Plan Bs for those teams. Like you you kind of saw it over and over again when they played the Thunder up through last year. Whenever they would run into Oklahoma City. You know, if they like, if Oklahoma City kind of figured out what they were doing, they would kind of just start rolling downhill, and the Spurs couldn't really stop them. And I think, to your point, the biggest the biggest thing that I question with this with the Spurs team is even less than the offense stuff, which I think is fair. It's when they get into a playoff series, how are they going to guard people? Because you look at their lineup, and every team is going to see Tony Parker and Pau Gasol on the court, and they're going to they're going to run a pick and roll with the center and the point guard every single time until those guys either prove they can defend it or have to be taken off the court. And if you're just totally eliminating both of those guys from the series right from the start, then to your point, can can the offense then hold up with, you know, two two of their better scores, specifically you saw at this point, on the bench not contributing at all? Um, and, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that I think we'll probably get a better idea of in this game tomorrow against the Warriors. And we probably won't know for sure until – they're in a seven-game series against, say, Houston in the second round or against the Warriors in the conference finals, and we really see what happens when, when they kind of get pushed to the to the brink in a matchup like that. Yeah, Pop has made some moves towards addressing a little of that um, by starting Dwayne Dedman. You know, Pal Gasol has been their starter to start the season, and he broke his hand. And when he came back just after the All-Star break, he hasn't been back in the starting lineup since. They've, they've been starting Dwayne Dedman precisely for that reason. Um, Deadman can can guard some of those pick and rolls. I mean, he's he's sort of the kind of big man you have to have in today's NBA. He can switch and 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 stay on the perimeter and have a fighting chance. And if you go back to the very first time the Spurs and Warriors played this year, obviously the Warriors get a little bit of a pass because it was their first time ever um, with that super group. Um, but the Spurs played Dwayne Deadman in that game a lot. It was the first game of the season. It was his first game as a Spur. Yeah, and they didn't start him, but they played him a lot, a lot more than they did Paul Gasol. Yeah, and he was a huge part of of their uh, defensive game plan against against the Warriors. And I think he could be the same against the Rockets in the series. You get in another set of questions there because you are sort of trading off offense for defense there. Because Dwayne Dedman is not a guy that's going to step out from anywhere beyond about four feet and score. He can he can put a little pressure on the rim on pick and rolls. He's 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 got more lob dunks than I've ever seen a Spurs player have in his life, which, you know, isn't, you know, it's not 
it's not Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan numbers, but for the Spurs, it's a, it's a lot. So he can do a little bit of that stuff. Since they put him in the starting lineup, their defense has been, um, you know, statistically about as good as it was last year when people were talking about it as one of, you know, one of the greatest defenses in the last, you know, couple decades or so. So he, he's fixed their, that's fixed a little bit of what, what might be a defensive problem, but then it gets to the other side of the, the coin. Now you're taking one of your better scorers off of the floor, and can you get, can you generate enough offense? Um, without Paul Gasol. Now, Gasol has been great on the second unit, like great. I mean, if you think about it, there's no, there are very few big men, a uh, second unit big men in the league that can that can do anything with him. I mean, he's he's just killing people. He's shooting threes like at a, he's he, he, he's he's shooting threes at like a 54% clip or something. And it's not just, you know, he's not just taking five this year. He's taking about 80 of them. So he's he's really, you know, that switch has done wonders for them. But eventually, you do get to a matchup where you just wonder if it's going to be enough. And and I'm every year with the playoffs, I don't know what to what to make of it until I see like the teams in a series together um, on the floor, like how it's going. To, I remember the year the Spurs won the finals in 2014. Like this, I think the second round was in Portland, and they had they they had struggled with Portland the regular season for years and years and years, and it just seemed like such a bad matchup for them. And I thought, oh. Portland might give him a little trouble, and he watched like five minutes of the first game and realized, no, Portland is, you know, in a playoff situation, Portland doesn't match up with these guys like at all. Like they just don't have, they just don't have it. And that's kind of how it is with the playoffs with me every year. I, I don't know until I see both teams on the floor together for a series how they're going to match up, and then it becomes a little more obvious. Yeah, no, it, and, that, and that's the fun. I mean, we were we were together for that whole Spurs Thunder series last year, and that that's the fun of getting into a playoff series and seeing what these teams look like, you know, cause that, that's, that's when you really kind of start to see those matchups come, you know, show up on the court and you can, you can figure that stuff out. But I, I mean, you make a good point about Pau Gasol. I mean, that, that was a, that was one of the questions coming into the season about him was he's always been a guy who's been very proud to start and has always wanted to start. And, you know, the Spurs went out and paid him a bunch of money to bring him in. And they're paying, you know, they're paying Dwayne Dedman a couple million dollars obviously never been a significant player in the league. Pau Gasol is one of the best you know, international players of all time, probably second behind Dirk Nowitzki, going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, you know, if, if, would, it make, would he be willing to take that, take a demotion and be on the second unit where his skill set, to your point, makes him a really devastating weapon for them and then allow, allow Deadman to, to kind of help offset some of their defensive issues with that starting lineup. And I think that's where you see – the benefit of having a coach like Greg Popovich, because if anybody is going to be able to get someone like Pau Gasol to buy into a situation like that, it's going to be him. Yeah, Pau and Pau, to his credit, has said all the right things, and he's, um, you, you know, you don't see from his body language that he's pouting or upset about it. But I, I don't think it's probably his preference. I mean, I think, I think there is a little bit of a pride factor there, where he started his whole career and considers himself a starter in the league and would prefer to keep starting, but if you take the pride out of it, I mean, if I'm Pal Gasol, it's, it's more fun for me to play on that second unit. I mean, on that first unit, you're almost, um, if you're, if he's almost wasted playing with that first unit because Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge are going to give like all the shots. So then if you're Pal Gasol, what do you, what do you do? You're not there for your defense. Um, you're just kind of taking scraps that are left over. You get on that second unit, like they'll run plays for you. They'll, they'll, they'll run pick and pops for you. They'll, 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 that second unit will play, you know, a ball movement game, and the ball will find you, um, you know, on on kickouts from from Ginobili and Patty Mills. So to me, it seems like more fun for him. I mean, he's 
he's he's averaging more points off the bench in fewer minutes than he was as a, as a starter, and that's just because of the style of play and the fact he's not having to share touches with two guys that have become kind of volume shooters on this team in Leonard and Aldridge. Yeah, I know, and that and that it, it makes all the sense in the world, and that's why it was going to be tough. You know, that's why you kind of wondered would how would Pop handle that because you you know you saw right in that first game, um, like you said in that in that Warriors first game, you know. They come out first game of the season. They're playing Dwayne Dedman big minutes, and you saw the difference having a mobile guy who could get out and guard um, really did for for the Spurs in that game. And I think it probably surprised the Warriors a little bit that he played that much. And I, and I think to your point, it was a sign that you know San Antonio looked at what happened last year with Tim Duncan in those games and knew that Powell is a far worse defender than Duncan, and that that just wasn't going to fly. And and so the fact that they've been able to to kind of get that to work, it, it does balance their roster out a lot more. And, you know, Powell is going to be able to play against second units. You know, if Golden State's got David West on the court, um, or yeah. if uh, the Rockets have Nene on the court, or the, or the Warriors have JaVale McGee on the court, or the Rockets have Montrose Harrell, like, he can play against those guys. That's not going to be a defensive yeah. problem for them. And, you know, the issue is, is, is Powell going to be guard? If Powell's got a card... Draymond Green or somebody like that, that's when he's going to have trouble. But if he's just guarding a, a regular center like that, kind of a traditional guy who can't really space the floor, then then he can he can at least drop back in the, the pick and roll and at least do that. And then you've got that offensive advantage at the other end to kind of help make up for when you have, like you said, Marcus and Kawhi on the bench. Yeah, and Pop has never been afraid to, to make sort of moves that other people would think were bold or, or you know, he hasn't really – you don't – you don't factor the player's feelings into it, or if, or if you do, you at least know how to how to see those feelings. I mean, you go back to Manu Ginobili when he was an all-star caliber player, and Pop was bringing him off the bench, you know, in 2005, six, seven. Um, you know, you you saw it with Tim Duncan near the end of his career that the game the Spurs beat the Warriors last year. Tim Duncan didn't even start; he came off the bench, and the Spurs started Boris Diaw. Pop Pop has had no qualms about even you know the great Tim Duncan. You know, it, it's better for our team to, for you to be a bench warmer tonight, so you're not playing. Kind of thing, yeah. and, and so if he can do that with Ginobili and um, and Duncan, I mean he can do that with Gasol as well. And I think if you're Gasol, that's the way you look at it too. I mean he he did this kind of stuff with Tim Duncan, who who am I to kind of complain or rock the boat or anything like that? And I think Powell's been um, at least outwardly, he's, you know, when you ask when you ask him about it, he's he's said all the right things and um, you know can see that it's working out for everybody involved. So he seems to be on board with the move. Yeah, I mean when you're when you're on pace to win 65 games, it's kind of hard. Here's a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue with uh, with any decisions anybody's making. We've we've gone long enough though without talking about Kawhi. Uh, obviously oh yeah, that Kawhi, guy. That guy who's not bad. Uh, you know, has taken another remarkable leap forward this year. I mean, this is a guy who, when he came into the NBA, it was unclear he was going to be able to ever be you know much of a shooter or a scorer at all. Now he's averaging. Uh, now he's averaging 26 points a game. Uh, he's shooting 37% from three, shooting 49% from the field, taking a ton of shots. Uh, they kind of become the fulcrum of the offense. Uh, you know, just a remarkable ascension continues for him. What has it gotten to a point where you are not surprised to see um, to see him keep getting better in, in basically every facet of the game every year, or or or, or is it still at the point where you're you're still pretty amazed at the way this guy has had the ability to um, to keep improving year on year on year like this. Yeah, when you when you take the long view of it, like how far he's come, it really is amazing. Because when they, when the Spurs traded for him, it really was sort of a I don't know if we should do this kind of thing, you know, on draft night. You know, it, it was not a consensus 
sort of uh, vote in that draft room to, because they all love George Hill. It's safe to say the Spurs did not expect this to happen. No, I, if you, and if you, even if you had talked to, you know, coaches kind of behind the scenes, even two years or so into his career, two, two or three years in his career, they viewed him as um, just a really, really good role player. Like he's a guy that's going to get you offensive rebounds and putbacks, and he's going to he's going to um, you know, play defense. He's, they basically saw him as, as Bruce Bowen with a little bit of an offensive skill. They didn't see him as a guy that, you know, you can basically run your offense from who's going to, who's going to trigger pick and rolls, who's going to, you know, basically sometimes you watch it, you hate to throw these kind of comparisons around, but sometimes you watch them and you're like, that was a Jordan move or that was a, that was a Kobe Bryant shot. You know, they never saw any of that early on. That, that just built, over time, and, and kind of a story has been well told around here, but it's a it's a, a lot a lot of credit goes to uh, a Chip England for for um, helping him with that shot because you know he did not shoot quite did not shoot threes in college and certainly did not shoot them very well. I think he was like a 22 percent three point shooter in college, and then you get up here where um, you know, last season he was up over 40 percent. He's kind of tailed off a little, a little this year. So Chip England, one guy, and then there's Chad. Forcier, who was their other development guy, who worked with Kawhi like tirelessly, day after day after day. Chad's in, a, he's an assistant in Orlando now, under Frank Vogel. But he, he's, you know, you go, you go into practice like when they'd open up practice, you know, in Kawhi's second, third year, and you'd see him working with Chad on these moves that we never seen because at that point Kawhi was just a guy that was getting, you know, he was getting spot up threes and he was, you know, getting putbacks and he was scoring off like steals that he would take the other way. For layups, he he wasn't. They weren't running any offense for him, and he would. There would be this like step back jumper on the baseline that he's doing in <laughs> practice, and this, and and you know this this jump hook and this this move and that is rocker step, and you're like, what is? And then like maybe sure enough, two months later, he'd do it in a game, and you'd say, wait, that's the thing from practice that we saw. Right. It was really weird just from my perspective, because you you saw it all coming before you know you know fans were seeing it on TV or in the games, so it was. Really weird. It's, it's it's a credit to him just being um, tireless with with wanting to get better and add things year after year after year. And and it's also a credit to the Spurs development staff, which has been good with a lot of guys over the year. But but Kawhi sort of becomes the poster child for that because they took a guy that you know looked like he was going to be a solid NBA veteran for a long time and turned him to turned him into a guy that looks like he's going to be a perennial MVP contender. Yeah, and and you mentioned Chip Englund. People may know the story, but you you should you should kind of walk people through the story, kind of the apocryphal story of when they drafted him. Which I don't know if people remember. Not only did they trade for him, but they drafted him right before the lockout. Um, so they weren't going to be able to be around him for what turned out to be about six months. So I, I think it's kind of a, a testament to you know kind of an early sign of what this guy's work ethic was going to be like. Why don't you why don't you give people a quick rundown of that that story and kind of how that played out. Yeah, it really started at the draft combine. Um, um, Chip went up there to see a lot of guys. Kawhi was one of the guys on his list, and I believe Kawhi didn't actually work out there, didn't shoot there. But Chip says, you know, he walks in the gym one day up there, and Kawhi just happens to pick up a couple of balls, and he's just kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of unofficially shooting around out there, and you know, Chip's diagnosing what what his what what his stroke is like, and. And, and he has to come to the decision before the Spurs even decide on him. He has to come to a decision, you know, if, if there's something wrong with Kawhi's jumper, can we fix it? And that was a big voice. Chip was a big voice on draft night for the Spurs. If, if he had come in there, the draft room and said, this guy's shot is completely broken, there's no fixing it, they probably would have taken him. But Chip said, he's got some stuff there I can 
I can work with. And they kind of what they they studied Kobe Bryant tapes a lot once they got Kawhi in and and worked on his, his uh, form that way. But like you said, they draft him and then there's the lockout coming in like ten days or eleven days. So they got to rush him in. He spends a couple days in the gym with with Chip England and and, and Chad. And basically, they tell him, this is what we want you to work on on the lockout. This is what we want you to do. Here's the form we want you to work on. These are the drills we want you to do. And at this point, they have no, They really don't know this guy. You know, they've known him a couple of days. They don't know what they're going to get coming up. You know, is he going to go and just jack around? Is he going to ignore it? And what's, what's he going to do? Well, the lockout's over, whatever it was, six months later or however long. And um, they come back, and they realize he's basically done. He's done everything we told him to. Like, his shot is different now. He's he, he did this every every day. He did what we told him to, and that was the first sort of inkling that we've got this kind of piece of clay that we can mold in, in whatever way we want. I mean, he's hungry to be better, and he, and if he trusts us, you know, we we can help him get there. And and once they got him in year after year, you start to see it. Like I was saying earlier, they they I mean, he would just he would stay late every day, and he'd, he'd work on these things, these these moves that now we're seeing the whole like brunt of. But um, the whole array of, but but at the time was like, who is this guy? He was like their fourth scorer, so it was it was kind of interesting. We had Chip was huge in really in the from the get go in the decision to even trade for Kawhi on draft night because like I said, if he if the answer had been man, this guy's shot is all kinds of broken and I even I can't fix it, then probably they they pass and go some other way. Right, They're probably Clay no, Thompson or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But like. Uh... It, it's it's incredible. Um, you know, there's a lot of misnomers about NBA players. A lot of people, especially in the wake of this whole wrestling debate nonsense, that people try to act like these guys don't work hard, that they don't put in the time to get better. And all, all these guys, I mean, you and I both know for being around the league, all these guys spend hours upon hours working on their game on all kinds of stuff. But, but Kawhi, you know, Kawhi is in kind of a, a league of his own in that and in, in that fetch story about him being a rookie and kind of picking up the shot on his own during the lockouts emblematic of that and to go back to something you said way at the beginning when you were talking about him the thing that's kind of stunned me the most about his development over the past few years is is his ability now to run pick and rolls and be kind of the the, the focal point of the offense like that like there have been a lot of guys who have learned how to shoot the ball you know, like guys yeah. like Bruce Bowen, like you mentioned, like he, you know, he couldn't do a lot besides make corner threes, but he at least got the ball where he right. could be a knockdown shooter in the corner, and that turned him into a, a really good NBA player. But Kawhi not only has added this three-point shot, but he also has taken on this, you know, vastly bigger responsibility handling the ball. I mean, his his assist totals have gone up. I mean, his his totals of basically every category have gone up every single year, but um, his point totals have gone up every year, and his assist totals have gone up every year. Um, and and I, I think it, I think that the fact that he's become a good enough ball handler to run pick and rolls and find people and, and make plays that that to me might be even more impressive development for him than the shooting stuff has been. Yeah, and when you ask what comes next, um, you know, teams are starting to just I mean, they're basically starting to treat him like like a Kobe. Or, or a Michael in that you know if he comes off a pick and roll you're gonna you're gonna throw bodies at him you're gonna blitz him if you if you're not gonna let him post up one on one against somebody you're gonna you're gonna bring double teams and so the next step for him is figuring out how to navigate all of that um, you know because it still remain kind of aggressive and and um, you know scoring they've given him a lot of tape of like Charles Barkley and and Jordan again and Kobe again on, on how these guys sort of managed. Um, when when teams started really honing those game plans in on them, and that's something you'll see in the playoffs too. I mean, 
I don't think teams are going to let Kawhi Leonard play a lot of one-on-one against them in the playoffs. They're going to try to get the ball out of his hands. Does he know how to how to um, you know what's the right decision? Does, do you you know does he know when to just split the double team? Does he know when to shoot over the double team? Does he know when to get the ball out of there? Can he make the decisions quick enough? Because if you wait too long, um, you know you, the, the decisions you know your choices go down. Um, so that's kind of the next step for him is almost figuring out how to be a quarterback now, um, out of those kind of things. And you know it took. You know, that happens to all the great players. That happened to Tim Duncan. Eventually, teams said, we're not going to let you post up one-on-one anymore. And he had to figure out. It took him, you know, a little growing pain for him, too, to figure out how to quarterback the offense out of situations like that. So when when you ask what's Kawhi's next developmental step, I think that's it. Now, you you see him on a daily basis. Uh, so so your opinion, you know, I'm sure is, is at least slightly biased by that. But, you know, I'm pretty sure – uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I actually I can look it up, but I, I know you sent me a ballot for for my my column last week when I or a couple of weeks ago now when I, I kind of broke down um, the MVP race, and I, I'm pretty sure you had him at the top of the list. I'm trying to remember exactly what your ballot was here. I did, um, I did at the time. Yes, yes, and and I, you know, it's this is going to be the hardest MVP vote probably oh, I've ever. Oh, then you actually said that it's the toughest MVP I've ever been, every MVP vote I've ever been part of, and I think that goes for everybody. Because now. it's not, it's no, there's no, there, because you're 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 measuring apples against oranges against bananas because right. you're, you're, I mean, it's it it all it's all depends on how you, and maybe this is true every year, but it depends on how you define MVP. You know, is it is it the best guy on the best team? Is it the guy where you take him off the team, then the team is worse? Is it the guy with the best numbers? Is it the guy that plays both ends? You know, so there's – it just depends on how you, you look at it. And this is a year, like I, – I, you might disagree with me, but probably you won't. I think you take LeBron out now. Like, I don't think he's your number one guy anymore. Like, I don't think you can justify a number one vote for LeBron right now. But the other three guys, if you want to give them a vote, I'm not going to argue with you. Like, you you're, you you did it right if you vote for him or Harden or Westbrook because I think there are – Kawhi or Harden or Westbrook because I think there are very good arguments – for all of those guys, and there's you can't really argue against any of those guys. You, you, I think I, don't, I think they all have um, a really good case, and I don't know who I'm going to vote for when the whole thing comes down. But whenever at the moment you said you asked me, um, I, I did give you Kawhi as my number one. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, at the time your ballot was Kawhi, Harden, Russ, LeBron, and Isaiah, and it sounds like that's it's that's that's, probably that was, at least yeah. mostly the same. Yeah, I, I I mean like if I'm having to vote it, you know, whatever today is at two or three o'clock, I might give it to Harden instead. You know, I I, I really don't know. I, I the, the case for Kawhi is what if what if well, what if we really treat defense? What, well, I was just going to get what if we, so from your standpoint, make you know, I'm not I, make the case makes it sounds like you're rooting for him, which I know you're not, but I just like what, from, what if you it's an MVP voter who's voting for Kawhi at least right now, and and that in that ballot, my ballot, I had Kawhi first too. Um, at the time, so to make the case for why you would put Kawhi at the top of that list, well, if you decide that that defense is fifty percent of the, the game, which it is, right? I mean, defense is half the game. It, I, I kind of look at it as what if it's a college course, and you have you have you know two exams during your college course, and and that's your grade. And and in this case, half your grade is offense, half your grade is defense. So if you're, you know, if you're if you're a, an A plus on offense, but you're a D in defense, you know, you, you, you made a, like, I'm, I'm not good at math, but you got like a C plus somewhere in there, you know, a, a B, a, a low B. 
Um, with Kawhi, I think he he might be the only guy that's an A in both categories that that of those top three. Um, so to me, that's 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 the case for him. I mean, and I think he probably a lot of my a lot a lot of his case also maybe it shouldn't be this way, but if you're you know if the Spurs were to overtake the Warriors for the number one seed, and now you've got the best record, the best player on the best team, who's the best defender, who ain't too shabby on offense either. Uh, you know, I think. I think that's a pretty good case for Kawhi Leonard. Now, it doesn't look like the, you know, there's still some ways to go, but assuming the Spurs don't get the number one seed, that probably takes a little bit of a shine off of it. But he, either way, he's he's the guy that he, – he's having a better offensive season than Tim Duncan ever had in the NBA, and he's a two-time defensive player of the year and, you know, could win it the third time. So, to me, that that's some pretty good MVP credentials. Now, I can't tell you anything from the other guys. Averaging a triple-double is pretty freaking impressive. And <laughs> doing what James Harden is doing in Houston is pretty freaking impressive. So, like I said before, if those guys win it, I, I'm not going to – you're not going to see me on Twitter, you know, calling foul or saying other guys got robbed. I think any of those guys are really awesome candidates, and you can't really make a case against them. Well, and at the time, at the time when we were doing this, they were – they either were – tied with the Warriors or are about to move ahead of them. And that was part of my vote too, was that if this guy is on this team when the wake of Tim Duncan retiring and they have the best record in the league and he's made giant strides offensively and he's, and he's still a monster on defense, you know, I, I, that was why, that was where I was leaning at the time. Um, but look, I mean, your last point is the, the best one. I mean, you know, like for instance, when I put that, that poll up, Royce Young, you know, said, I don't know how anybody could have, Russell Westbrook fourth on the ballot, and I, I would disagree with you a little bit. I, I know the Warriors have been in a bit of a, the, the Cavs have been a bit of a funk lately, but LeBron has still been remarkable this year. And I think if you, sure, I think if I think if you want to have those four guys in any order, I, I think that it's fine. And it's just more a matter you're, of you're still, you're, you're still buying a LeBron vote for number one. I, I and they've got when their I record is so. I mean, it's some, sometimes it's not fair, but your your team. Yeah. What your team does matters, you know. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have LeBron first. I also wouldn't have Westbrook first. I mean, I, I would I would pick Harden or or Kawhi. So I'm yeah. I'm with you. But on I could that. defend the Westbrook thing. I don't know. Yeah. If I could defend. The only way the way you defend LeBron is he's. I mean, that's just the he's the best player in the world to my eyes, test, which I guess right. is a fair way to do it. I mean, he's yeah. the best player in basketball. Yeah. But so I mean, so, I, that, again, it goes back to how you define the war the award. And, right, you know. and I all my all my all I was going to say was that to me it's more about it, your last point was accurate, which was that it's more about um, it's it's more about what what the other guys are doing than trying to try to knock people. Um, yeah, it's just it's just not the, the the these guys are all having off the charts seasons. So it it should it shouldn't turn into well this guy does this guy doesn't deserve it here's why it should just be right, right. all these guys are freaking awesome but I have to pick one of them and the edge is going to go one way that's why to me I don't that's why it's hard for me to vote Westbrook first personally because um, I'm with you I think winning matters which is why I lean more towards Harden and and Kawhi at the top. You know, it's not a knock on Westbrook no. at all, but the bottom line is now what if guys Ru- are going to be on the what, what if Russ gets them up in a situation, gets that team, because you look at all the all that's around him or more accurately is not around him, right. what if he gets that team to like like a home court advantage, like a like the four seat, which is not out of the realm of possibility. Then, no, then I start they, to think that's, managed, a, that's a pretty they, good case. If they, manage to get to the, if they manage to get to the fourth seed, you know, they're two games behind Utah right now. I think Utah is the tiebreaker. If they, if they manage to get to the fourth seed, 
then I think Westbrook's case gets significantly stronger. Um, it's just another, yeah, it's another kind of. It's but I think box I think they're probably going to be the sixth seed. And yeah. look, if you're the sixth seed in the West and you have 46 wins, you know, it's just hard for me to. It's hard for me to. Yeah, I And here's the other thing. Like, this also isn't meant to be a knock on him, but the stats this year are are an outlier. I mean, we're in kind of a, a steroid era baseball year for stats. Like, they're, everybody's getting way more triple doubles yeah. than they ever had before because the, the pace of the game is up. There's a lot more stats. Like, there's just there's more scoring. There's more possessions. So, like, what you know, he's got 36 triple doubles. James Harden has 19 or 20. Um, you know, LeBron is averaging like 26, nine and nine, like all, all the, like, it, it's, it's not like the game. If, if Westbrook was averaging a triple double in a year where there weren't any standout candidates and he had, he was on a team that was going to win 45 games, it'd be a lot easier to vote for him. But to me, it's, it's like a tie goes to the better team. And yeah, exactly. I kind of no, look I'm at this as like, I kind of look at this as a four way tie. And so at that point, if you start lopping people off, then, you know, I'm, I'm lopping off him and LeBron first because their teams aren't as good. And then it, and then it's down to Russell or, you know, then it's down to Harden and Kawhi and their teams are close enough together that I think you can go either yeah. way and it's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that, that's just kind of how, that's just kind of how I look at it. Um, and it's not, but, you know, like, you, like you said, there's, there's, there, these guys are all having such unbelievable seasons that it's, uh, it, it's, it's not, it's not about trying to decide who isn't, uh, who isn't playing well enough to, to win the award. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if it's not that Harden is necessarily the MVP, but Mike Antoni is the coach of the year. Like, what's the what's the push-pull between that? Because I think a lot of Harden's, you know, numbers this year are directly related to Mike D'Antoni showing up and installing that offense and putting the ball in his hand as basically the point guard. And, again, that's not a knock on James Harden at all. I mean, he's done phenomenally with it. But there's so many things you have to weigh when you're voting for this MVP, kind of wondering, you know, Harden's not done this before. What's new? Oh, it's that it's that uh, Mike D'Antoni showed up, and how much is his influence kind of influencing these numbers that we're looking at? And you know, maybe maybe, maybe the vote. You know, I'm I'm just spitballing here now, but maybe the vote is Kawhi is the MVP and Mike D'Antoni is the coach of the year. Might be. I don't know. Might be. I mean, it, it, you can you can go a lot of ways with a lot of that stuff. I mean, you could you could you could argue you could argue that uh, you could argue that that that. Popovich is coach of the year for having this team with a bunch of kind of misfit parts smashed together in the wake of Duncan's retirement with 65 wins again. I mean, you can, you can, you can go a lot of ways with a lot of these awards. It's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out over the next few, few weeks before we, before we go though, uh, we probably should talk kind of specifically about this game tomorrow. Um, you know, it'll be today when the podcast goes up on Wednesday morning, but you, uh, you know, you were at the game in San Antonio a couple of weeks ago when the Warriors sat everybody and, and it turned into kind of a lapper. And we were both at the game uh, at the season opener in Oakland when the um, when the, the Spurs put a beat down on, on Golden State. What, what are you, what are you what are you kind of looking for tomorrow in this third and final meeting between these two teams, assuming uh, assuming everybody plays as they are supposed to. Steve Kerr said he's resting, every, not resting anybody, and I I can't really see a reason why Greg Popovich would. So, um, what what do you what do you expect to to see tomorrow? What do you what are you kind of looking for as you watch this game? Yeah, assuming everybody has all their horses. I mean, you know, except for Kevin Durant, it'll really be the first. Well, you know, it'll be the first time they've played a game where you can maybe draw something for it. But then I just maybe maybe not. I mean, 
I mean, because Kevin's not here. So if you if you're looking forward to like a possible playoff meeting between these two teams, they will have gone through the regular season without any without playing each other once where there wasn't some sort of asterisk involved. You know, the first game of the season, like that's just hard on everybody. That's just weird on everybody. Um, you know, the, the game here a couple of weeks ago where nobody played. I mean, the Spurs didn't play Lamarcus or Kawhi either. Right. So it was just nobody played. And in this one, it's a little more of a fair fight, but without without the Warriors having Durant, it's really hard to project how this would look um, with both teams fire, firing in all cylinders, um, you know, in, in the playoffs. I guess this is just the, tomorrow is just going to be today, since you're recording this in advance, is just going to be the, you know, the closest we're going to get to what might, how might these two teams approach each other when the playoffs come. And this will, you know, it'll be a, clo- a, clo- a, a better test of the Spurs defense, obviously, than it was a couple of weeks ago when uh, you know Ian Clark was going nuts or who who whoever it was I can't remember <laughs> was going nuts out here. Um, the this, this, the Spurs last last night well I I get my time wrong your listeners just figured out but last night whenever they played the Cavs the they Spurs the did. Cal- yeah on Monday um, yeah that was that was a really good um, win for them they, but you know the Cavs are a mess as we kind of alluded to they, they so I don't know how much you draw from that except for the Spurs played you know they executed their defense. Really well. They were in the right spots. Whether the Cavs were, um, you know, a mess or not, the Spurs did what they wanted to do. So I think what you're looking for from a Spurs perspective is can they repeat that sort of um, attention to detail against the Warriors team that obviously is is a little more um, tuned in right now and a little uh, a little bit more of a a better test of, of your defense because the Spurs have been um, they haven't been a whole lot of games this year even as they're on pace for 60 games where they've just been locked in for 48 minutes and you felt like. This team is ready for um, whatever you want to throw at it in the playoffs. And I think that's sort of what they're hoping to build for. I think they actually made a pretty good step against the Cavs, despite the fact that the Cavs are terrible right now. Um, but you kind of want to see it against the Warriors just to judge if these games that they seem to be making are real. I mean, because, whatever, four or five days ago, they're nearly blowing a 20-point lead to the Knicks at home. So you don't really know where the Spurs stand right now. <laughs> a, n- a nice, solid performance. And you don't necessarily have to beat the Warriors tomorrow, but a nice, solid performance against them where you look like you're sort of ready for, for the playoffs. I think that's, from the Spurs' perspective, that's really what you want to see. Can 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 they guard these guys? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and, I, that, and it's kind of the same kind of the same thing from the other side. I mean, Golden State has finally kind of got themselves organized over the last couple of weeks and have really been kind of, you know, firing all cylinders. The other night they shot, I think, 60% from three at home, um, you know, when they when they played Memphis on Sunday. And, and they'll be on the second half of back-to-back. Obviously a tough back-to-back playing Houston tonight, uh, Tuesday in, in Houston. But, um, but yeah, I, I'll be very curious. Even without Durant, you know, they've still got – you know, three of the best 15 players in the league on their team, and they still mm-hmm. got Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And can they? Can the Spurs guard them and stay with them? You know, because because even without Durant, the Warriors can still exploit some of those weaknesses. You know, specifically at point mm-hmm. guard center that we talked about. So, um, so you know, let's see, uh, let's see how they how they handle that and and how it looks. That I think I think even without Durant, we could get a pretty good handle on that on that tomorrow night, assuming you know everybody's healthy and ready to go. Yeah, can the Spurs – where the Spurs, on paper at least, should have the matchup advantage is in the paint, right? I mean, they've got the bigs that, that the Warriors just known. And if you go back to that first game, I mean, Marcus Aldridge just murdered Golden State in that first game of the year. Um, yeah. So can the Spurs can, – can, 
can the Spurs exploit the one advantage that you see that they have? That's kind of one thing you look you look at too. Can their can their bigs um, make a big enough dent um, down low to really offset you know a, a backcourt that that the Warriors should really you know they should probably win that battle. Steph and Clay should probably um, win the battle against. Tony Parker and Danny Green, you know. So if, if can the, you if do the, enough? If the Warriors don't win that battle, it's probably going to be a yeah. game like the first game. <laughs> right. So can the Spurs, can the Spurs big men um, kind of do enough to offset what you're going to lose in the backcourt? And and you know, again, a lot of it comes down. You're, the Spurs backcourt can't be a big zero either. They're going to have to contribute something. You know, the, the, the Spurs best nights this year are when Tony comes out and gets you ten or twelve. I mean, yes, he's the guy that's that, that his best skill right now is just organizing things, running the show. He's basically Avery Johnson at this point. But on the nights, he can just kind of pop off and get you 10, 12, 14. It's a, it's, it's a, they're a much better team. And, you know, you, he can't just lose the, the step battle 40 to 3 or something like that. He's going to have to at least give you something. But I think the big men are, are really what you want to see from the Spurs is can those guys come to play because that's, that's where you can really punish Golden State if you're on. Yeah, no, it's, that's uh, that's very true. So, all right, man. Well, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Um, looking forward to seeing you uh, for what should be hopefully a fun game tomorrow. Uh, do you have any? You have anything upcoming that you or in the that over you've done recently? You wanna you wanna plug for people? You go look for? <laughs> no, I write every day, man. <laughs> probably just probably just my Twitter account is probably the best way to find my stuff because I'll put it up there all day. And then there's also in between us. Like stories that I post, it's just a lot of snark that I like to tweet out and stuff Jeff, like that. Jeff, 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 both a good follow on the Spurs and a fun follow in general. So you should definitely give him a follow. Well, thanks, uh, thanks again for the time, man. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you. All right, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow, buddy. All right, thanks to Jeff. Appreciate him coming on. Uh, you can, you should definitely go follow Jeff's work. He's, you know, he's both a funny guy and an excellent beat writer. You can find him on Twitter at jmcdonald underscore s a e n. That's J McDonald, M-C, J-M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D underscore S-A-E-N. Um, fun guy, uh, fun guy to follow, really good on the Spurs, been around that team a long time, does an excellent job, so you should definitely keep an eye on what he's got going on. Uh, you can follow my work on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can find my work uh, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can go to um, the Washington Post or on the Washington Post website to find my work there. Uh, thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Please go find their stuff online and buy it. Uh, support those guys. They do a great job. Um, Glenn's a digital editor at the Post. Uh, I'm really excited that his stuff is, is part of the part of the podcast. It's really cool. So give them some support if you would. Uh, please give the, the podcast a five-star rating and review it, um, whether on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever you listen. That helps us out a lot too. Um, you know, Thanks again to everybody for listening. Not sure we'll be back this week or not. I would like to get in another podcast um, later this week. We'll see. Got one potential guest either this week or next week that could be fun, but I got to see if I can get it lined up. But uh, in any event, uh, thank you for, for sticking around and checking this out. And as always, we'll talk to you again soon.